It's the Total Football New Zealand podcast. I'm Connor Clements, joined today by my co-host Mike Anderson and special guest David Dome, the general manager of the Wellington Phoenix, the club we love so much in New Zealand, our only professional club. How are you doing, David? Oh, look, guys, um, really bullish, actually. I mean, it's I swear to God, it's been like the, the toughest last couple of weeks. You know, this, this little club has been through a lot in its 10 years, and that last couple of weeks has been... Crazy, absolutely crazy. Things change every thirty seconds, as it has, you know, not just for us, but for a number of businesses all around the world, of course. But you know, the things that we've gone through in the last couple of weeks. But through all of this, what we've been really pleased with is that the, um, and to be honest, has kept a lot of the club going. Is that the players, the football ops, and, and the management staff are really, really united in in terms of we really want to do well in the season. And you know, we're in third place and going going great guns and we really actually think we can achieve something this year so you know that's really really exciting for us as a football club and for the fans and for the city that supported us so well over a, you know some really tough years and so we're the, the, the players just really want to go over there and do, do a job for us and uh what has the team been doing during the break david i mean it's moments away from kickoff in terms of a couple of days now it seems like it's been forever since we last saw a ball kicked in the a-league i mean it kind of has um what have the team been up to these last couple of weeks these last couple of months um, what have they been? Yeah, what have they been doing to prepare? Yeah, so you know, as everybody knows, we shut down the A League. What is it now? July. It was way back in March, April. Um, uh, we, we brought all the players back, uh, except for Hoops and Uli, who went back to their home countries. Um, then we went through a big lockdown in New Zealand, so no one could train. Uh, we came out of that. The players were right back into it. Um, as soon as we heard, well, as we worked through the process in terms of getting the players back to training again and to playing in the A-League, is we had to go through another poll process again to get, about getting the two boys back from overseas and getting them work visas. Now, I won't go into the, to the details, but it was, it was because they weren't in New Zealand, it was more difficult to get them work visas. Mm-hmm. So we went through that and then we got them back into, well, we never got them back into the country, actually. Uli and Hoops flew straight to Australia to meet up with the other team and you know, to get the boys into Australia, that was a, an exercise in itself because we had to go to the Department of New South Wales. Um, and, I, and, I, and I've completely missed out <laughs> the first quarantine period that we did. <laughs> we went in and had, had to come straight back out again and after only almost just about a week, really. Um, uh, and then we went back into Australia again for another two weeks quarantine. But we've sort of come out of that, I think, actually pretty well, uh, pretty well positioned, to be honest. Uh you know, we've not had the upset that the Victorian teams have had. Um, Perth is still in Perth. Adelaide is still in Adelaide. Brisbane is still in Brisbane. At least we're settled in Sydney. Um, we talk to Ufi and, and Sean Gill, football ops manager, regularly in, in Sydney. And um, the reports back from there is the players are very, very settled and really enjoying it. Um, they've trained really well. We've had a couple of, of warm-up games. Um, where the team's done pretty well in those. Um, so it's now it's you know, out of all of this, the, the Phoenix and Sydney uh, will head up the resumption of the A-League on, on Friday night. So that's really, really exciting. I mean, that's one versus three. And to be honest, those are the two form teams of the, of the competition. Uh, you know, we've, we're coming off four in a row. Sydney uh, have only lost two games all season. But, you know, if you look at it, the games that we played against them, we should have won the first one and the second one was a draw, which is pretty close. So... You know, we, we rate ourselves, and I can tell you without a you know without a word of a lies, we actually think we can go out there and beat anybody. And uh, this is a quality team that Luffy's put together, and he's a, he's a very very good coach. And we actually very you know, we rate our, our, our chances in the final series, and so pretty excited about it to be honest. 
Is it strange for you being in New Zealand and knowing that you won't be able to really influence anything and, and staying here? Or is it just more of the same, I mean, um, and, and you're used to it with the team travelling to Australia all the time? Or does it feel kind of strange knowing that there's going to be no games at Sky Stadium? Uh, no, it, it, it's it, it, it's not unusual because I don't, to be honest, I don't often travel to the Australian games, and that's mostly a, a cost thing because, to be honest, if you took a, a management, unless you're actually doing something around the game, there's no point taking management because for Ufi, it would be much better to take a, another player yeah, uh, and keep training and get the training squad together. So we would, we would always do that ahead of taking a, a management person. Um the thing for me is, is you know, as Michael tell you, I've been in the job now 10 years and the thing that really, you know, it's going to be most disappointing for us as a club is the potentially we could make a grand final and we might not even be able to go and, and, and partake and be there for the grand final unless, you know, we have been talking to the league and whether we could qualify, if we qualify top or even if we don't qualify top, could we have that grand final here in Wellington, which is not, you know, it's certainly on the cards. It's not absolutely um, off the cards, but... You know, with the the issue with, is with quarantines now, and we'd sort of do two weeks quarantine either way, and whether we can get the Australian team, the New Zealand team, and I don't know. It's it's it's, it's tricky. Um, we haven't given up hope on that, but uh, you know, it, the reality is, if if there is a game, and if there's a grand final in Sydney or or in anywhere in Australia, then it's probably unlikely that anyone from the club will go, except for the people that are there now, which would be hugely disappointing. But you know, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but. Uh, now, coming back to your original question, that that's certainly where we're at. Is you know, it would be great to be over there with, with the team, but it just doesn't make sense. So, Dave, um, a lot of the focus has been on like the players and what's going to happen with the players actually getting on the field and all about getting the games restarted. What's it been like um, with some of the challenges off the field? Because there's obviously a lot that goes on behind the scenes at a football club, you know, um, working with sponsors and partners to make sure that those agreements so are satisfied and also making sure that all the back-end stuff is uh, all lined up. Uh, what are some of the big challenges that you guys have um, encountered with not being able to actually have home games to play? Oh, there's, there's massive challenges. It's, it's, I mean, COVID has brought in a level of complexity that even in the A-League we've never seen before. I mean, it's always A-League is a tough environment to work, and sports is generally tough, but you know, A-League is particularly tough given the size of the football economy in Australia and New Zealand. But COVID has brought in a whole level of complexity that we didn't even contemplate. And, you know, there are well, a lot of our partners are doing it tough. Um, you know, the way that we handled the players and the players' contracts and the extension of those past the normal end of the season, um, the way that the Fox Sports contract had to get renegotiated, the uncertainty around income, income streams and, you know, expenses we're, we're still relatively the same. You know, it's all been very, very complicated, and we've, we've worked our way. Through. I mean, yeah, obviously, we're not the only ones like this. This is, this is the world, right? And we've worked our way through that, and I think we've come out in a pretty good, you know, position. Um, it, everybody's taken a hit. I can tell you that without a lie. Is everybody has taken a hit um, from players to staff, you know, football ops, management. Everyone's everyone's taken a, a, a financial hit in all of this, and. We've managed to get through it and we've got to a position where everybody understands it and everybody, we're really lucky in that the whole club wants to do what's, do the best they can for, for the for the team and for the club and we recognise that the best thing for this club is to try and go as deep as we can into the final series, and which would be great for fans and for the city and for the country. Um, and, and literally, and I remember when this first thing blew up back in March and April, we had some Zoom meetings with staff. And I said, look, you know, this is going to be really one day at a time. 
and it literally has been one day at a time as things have changed overnight sometimes and I remember that that last game at home against Melbourne Victory when we uh, I was taking a phone call from the Melbourne Victory CEO and he was saying well you know can we postpone the game because at that time Australia was going into lockdown as well and they were sure if they flew back to Melbourne that night um, if they could get in and if they'd have to do quarantine when they when they got in, and in the end they actually did have to quarantine, and they were they were saying, well, look, can you help us fight, get a, a a charter flight out of Wellington after the game? You know, it was, and I, I, you know, within three or four hours, the story had changed four or five times as to what was happening in both Australia and New Zealand, and that's sort of been the tone for about the last really since 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 March, to be honest, um, and that's you know last four or five months has been like that. Um, but you know, again, you know, we're not we're no different to any other business, and we've just had to make the best that we can of the situation. But we're extremely lucky in that we've got a very, very good ownership group, a very supportive board. We've tried as hard as we could to do the very best by the playing group, and you know, we were paying players uh, at 100% much longer than than some of the other clubs. So it was only at one stage there was only three clubs that were paying players at 100%. That was Wellington, Victory, and, and, and City. Um, and we did that for as long as we could until the uh, the new CBA came in. Um, so, you know, I think we've tried to do as best as we could for every, by everybody. And like I say, the owners have been very, very supportive. And we're, we're very, you know, we're lucky in that we have a very good ownership group in Wellness, um, as opposed to some clubs who the day after uh, a lockdown came in Australia, they stood their players down. And in Australia, they have different legislation, which means that as soon as you stand a player down, you don't have to pay them. And there were quite a few clubs who, the day after lockdown started in Australia, they didn't, they didn't pay their players, um, not a cent. And so, you know, I don't know. We're kind of hopeful that, uh, and the way it washes out, that the faith that we've put back or, or you know, how we've treated the players will come back in the final series and that, you know, players... And, um, you know, we've spoken to Stephen Taylor and, and uh, Alex Rufer and um, Stefan Marinovic a few times, who was sort of the... The, the management, the senior leadership group in the in the playing squad. Um, I've spoken to a num- them a number of times over the over the lockdown and kept them, try to keep them in as informed as we possibly could with everything that we knew. Again, you know, with things changing all the time, uh, but keeping them informed. And I was sending the playing group emails saying, "This is what we know, this is what we don't know, and this is what we're going to try and do." And, um, but really tried to to uh, treat them with as much respect as we could and. Uh, I think that's, you know, and that's why I think now you, you hear the players speak when they do media and they talk about how focused they are and how keen they are to see the, the, the season out. And I, and I think that in some ways that's it's a culmination of everything that this club has tried to do over the last three or four months. Um, and also, uh, you know, it's a reflection of the playing group, how well it's led by Stephen Taylor and how well it's been coached by, by Ufak Tale and, and his coaching group. So I think in terms, if you look at, in terms of a jigsaw puzzle, you know, I think we're pretty good. We're in terms of the pieces of the puzzle, we're pretty good to being. Uh, we're pretty close to being almost complete. So let's just see how it plays out over the next two three weeks. Nice one. Um, so you mentioned that um, it's well, it's quite well known that we've got good owners that back the club, but that's not the case um, across the league. And then we've got this. Um, we've got the kind of issue with the Fox deal, which is now being um, signed uh, for next year as well. But with any sort of reduction in that Foxdale, how does that actually put the league compared to other leagues and like what kind of players, not just what the Wellington Phoenix can attract, but the whole league as, as a whole? 
Well, no, that's a good question. So, and, and to be honest with you, Mike, nobody knows. So this, this is part of what we are just going to have to work through in the next couple of weeks is uh, there is no doubt that the, the what we call the central distribution coming out of Australia, which essentially is TV money, and that's Fox money, that is, um, uh, that's been hugely affected by COVID, right? So it's been a significant reduction in that. Um, uh, at the moment, we're looking at the uh, this, this season that we're currently working on will be finished by end of August, say September sometime. Then there'll be a break and then back into pre-season and then maybe a, a resumption in, in December, January sometime. Now, we don't actually know what next season looks like. You know, we're you know we're already one month into a financial year where our financial year starts one July. And we actually don't know what the majority of our financial year is going to look like because we don't even know what the central distribution is going to be, which is crazy. There's no business in the world that would ever start a financial year without having a budget. Yeah, totally. um, uh, but that's the reality, Right, because so much of our income is tied up in the central distribution and, and there is so much that's unknown in the league. Like, are there going to be games in Wellington? We don't know, because at the moment, if you look at it, you'd say there'd probably be no games in Wellington because there's no trans tabs and bubble. Um, so we can't have players going or teams coming in and out of Wellington to play games. And so you strip out all the home games, you strip out memberships, that's a significant part of our revenue, it just evaporates overnight. Um, so we, we're, we're going to really just take it day by day and just see how it plays out. Uh, and try and make the best decisions that we got at the time. But uh, coming back to Mike's original question is we don't even know what the central distribution is going to be like. And, and a rough guide is that the central distribution pretty much equates to the salary cap. So it's say it's, you know, 3.2, 3, 3.3 million Australian this year. It's not going to be, it's going to be a fraction of that going forward, mm. which means let's say we have to take off a third of our salary cap. Then what does that mean for players? And when, who does that mean? Who do you keep and who do you lose? Um, and how much you pay the players you've got remaining? All of that's got to be worked through, and including um, a, a new union agreement. You know, let's say we have another union agreement. I mean, you know, do we do you continue on with the union agreements, or do you just do a one-on-one negotiation with players? And it's all it's all very very difficult. And you know, the PFA has lost their CEO, so John Didaluka, who was a very good CEO of the PFA, he's left now. And, They've put in a couple of replacements who we've talked to, and you know, it's got it has to be a collective effort going forward. Is what does it actually mean in terms of uh, uh, what are we going to do as a as a as an organ as a sport as a code mm. to ensure we to ensure we survive? And what is the minimum payment? What's the maximum payment? How many uh, foreign players can you have? Um, what are the exemptions? All that sort of stuff. So. All that work has got to be done. To be honest with you, as you were saying over the last week with the trying to get the Melbourne teams out, um, oh, yeah. there's, there's a massive... I mean, to be honest, the, whole, the league was just focused on that. Uh, where Everybody is just working, you know, going hell for leather just to try and get this season completed, including the final series. But at some stage soon, we're going to have to start looking at next season and working out what that means. But so many... It's like it's like trying to build a, 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 you know, a, a house on shifting sands, it's, it, everything is as soon as you think you know something it changes the next day so yeah. you really it's just it's one foot in front of the other yeah I guess it brings up some fascinating situations too because if that salary cap does reduce then there'll be situations of going players obviously moving clubs to um, fit in um, where accordingly and it'll be interesting to see what players end up moving overseas looking for opportunities so they could actually um, change the mix up of some teams quite a lot hey um, we've now had two well we have had one quarantine period over there where we've had the boys housed um, in a facility and we've now had that again um, has this given you guys some learnings for 
for a potential W League side? Is there anything that you have been able to take away from this experience which um, you could potentially use for a W League side moving forward? And um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we were quite advanced on W League before COVID hit. Uh, uh, and I'd, I'd hasten, you know, well, I would have said we were about 90, 90% done, maybe even 95% done on W League. Um, and then COVID hit and everything gets upset. Now, that's not to say that we're not, we're still very, very focused on W League, still very keen to have a professional women's foot. Let's be honest, right? A Women's World Cup in, in Australia and Zealand in 2023 is an absolute kick in the pants for a W League side for Wellington Phoenix. You can't have a co-host of a Women's World Cup that does not have a professional women's team. It just makes no sense. So we, we will make it happen. Um, and still very. And I've spoken to the league. I can't, I can't tell you how many times about Wellington Phoenix having a W League side, and they have, they are supportive. Um, I've had a conversation with them. Uh, there are a number of, of teams that uh, don't aren't currently in the W League who want to be in W League, and the feedback from the league is that our proposition is the strongest out of all of them. So that's given, and that came maybe six months ago, maybe a bit longer than that. That's that we were on the right track and we could actually build something that's pretty clever, pretty cool and pretty clever. Um, and we're still focused on it being in, in the next W League season. Now, it'll, it takes a lot of bit of work, but the good thing about it is that there's a lot of, in New Zealand, there's a lot of, um, a lot of synergies with a lot of other organisations and we're very focused and aligned. And the, the, the key partner in this, of course, is New Zealand football. And I've spoken to Andrew Pragnall a number of times and Andy Boyens, who's the technical director. We're all very aligned in this space and I think we can make a really, really good crack at this. Um, but again, it'll be, <laughs> you know, there's, there's only so many people in the league who, are, who have the ability to make these decisions and they are pretty much focused on the completion of the A-League. But at some stage in the future, we're going to have, they're going to have to knuckle down. Like I say, the, the positive thing for us is we've got a lot of the building blocks in place. There's still a bit of work to be done, um, and we, I haven't lost sight of that at all. And over the last couple of weeks, I've still kept um, banging away at it and, and trying to get the last pieces of the puzzle all together. And I think we'll get that. I'm pretty confident that we'll get that. Um, and we'll have a we'll have a W League team sooner rather than later for the Wellington Phoenix, and uh, it'll be pretty cool. I'm really, do you know what? I'm, I'm really really excited about that. I, I think you know professional women's football is something this country needs. Um, I think we've got a really really good talent pool here. I think we'd be very competitive in the W League. Um, like I say, a lot of the pieces of the puzzle are there, ready to go, um, and now it's just finishing it off. And and does any W League solution see games played here in New Zealand, or would would all the games have to be played um, overseas? Uh, no. Uh, well, again, to be honest, that just comes down to money, right? So yeah. uh, I, I would like to think that we would have games in New Zealand because it, it just seems crazy to me that you'd have a Wellington Phoenix W League side that never played in New Zealand. Mm. And I think we can do that. Um, it's just fine. it's finding someone who's going to help us fund it because, as you know, you know the A League teams don't leave don't make money so to make the, the W League make, make money is even more and more difficult but if we could find the right financial backing to help the, the, the challenge of course is with uh, um, W League in New Zealand you're funding two teams to come over not just one so with the Wellington Phoenix or the men's side the A League side you're only funding one team to come over if we were going to do games outside Wellington you know, like when we take games to Auckland we've got to, we've got to fund 
uh, another team to go to. Um, so we had to find Wellington Phoenix to go to Auckland. But the Australian team, it's just another away game, right? It's, it's, no, it's no additional cost. But for a W League side, you've actually got to fund two teams, Wellington Phoenix and who we bring over. So it's double the cost, um, and it's not, a, it's not a cheap exercise. But it, it seems nonsensical to me that we wouldn't have games in New Zealand, but it's just a matter of finding the, the, the dollars to, find, to send over two teams to play a W League match in New Zealand. Oh, that's that's really exciting because yeah, it'd be fantastic to have, like, like you said, this country needs a professional women's team. I think it's it's about time. Hey, um, moving forward, um, with the with the games about to kick off, how can um, Knicks fans up and up and around the country um stay tuned and uh, keep up to date with the team? Um, is anything happening here in Wellington? Um, is yeah, are you guys going to be doing any events? Yeah, we've got. Uh Every home game we want to put, on, we are going to put on a function at a Caputo uh, venue in Wellington. So that's our home. Our home uh, bar is Churchill down on Lambton Quay. We've got a function this Friday night, so it's uh, the, the game against City's a nine thirty kickoff, um, and we're going to have a function there. Um, and there is um, on our social media pages, you can find a link to get through the tickets for that. Um, and it basically every. Every game for the Wellington Phoenix in the A-League until the end will have a function somewhere in Wellington. Um, we're looking at uh, our Sunday afternoon game against Adelaide, whether we put on, we go a bit bigger, and, and we have a bigger venue for that because that's a, I think it's a five o'clock kickoff on a Sunday afternoon, which is just perfect for getting a big crowd along somewhere. And one of our partner venues, like one of Kapura's venues. Um, well, obviously, all games will be on Sky. Um, and also, if we could... You know, we are, certainly are asking fans or reaching out to fans if you want to send messages of support, whether that be through social media or emailing to the club or, or sending stuff to the club and we'll put it on to the players. And we want to put all these messages of support up, up in the, the players' changing rooms, either at the, the hotel where they're staying or in the changing rooms when they play games in, in, the, uh, in Sydney. So, uh, yeah, send them through, please. We're asking fans to send those messages of support through and we'll put them up so the players can read them because they will, they will certainly be read. And I think part of it is that, you know, because the players are in Sydney, they are a little bit um, removed from the fan base now, which is, you know, it's not ideal, but it is what it is. But you, when you get a bit distant, you, you, I think they sometimes do become, it's, they get disconnected from the support. So we want to try and make uh, make those connections as much as we can. So we'll, we'll pass on those messages of good of good uh, goodwill through to the players. Oh, that's a fantastic initiative, and I'm looking forward to the league kicking off again and the fans being involved again. All right, David, we're going to take it back now. Just a couple of uh, questions for you. Um, Mike and I have come up with these ones just to kind of throw it back to your early moments uh, with the Knicks and also some of your thoughts on the on the best signings ever um, and and that sort of thing. So we'll start it with, how did you first get involved with the Phoenix? I remember the very first game at, uh, at, at what was then Westpac Stadium against Melbourne Victory. I was in the stands. I remember... Um, I saw Terry and I was saying, I was, I was saying how can I get Terry my business card? I'll just, I'll just throw my business card at him. <laughs> uh, I, you know, sometimes in life you just get those moments of synchronicity where you go, I really want – and I remember being in the stand that game and I thought, geez, I really want to be a part of this. Yeah. Um, and then I think it was about – it was almost 12 months later, to be honest. Um, there was a marketing manager role came up at Wellington Phoenix and I applied for it and I had – uh, I think two or three meetings with Tony Pinata at the time. Yeah, uh, and I convinced him to take me on as the. I, I came from a sort of 
strategic marketing background and financial services, a little bit similar to what Tony was actually. Um, and I managed him to convince him to take me on. And then um, by a process, process of attrition, I eventually ended up being the general manager when Wellness came on in, in 2011. So I, I started as, a, as the marketing manager, sort of did my did the hard yards there and learned the uh, the basics of sports marketing. Yeah. Um, and then, like I say, when Wellness came on, um, uh, convinced Rob to to let me stay on as a general manager and sort of take it up from there. And what what would you say has been your most memorable moment uh, over the years? It's been surely a hard one, eh? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, there's been a few. There's no doubt that the that semi final run that we had in 20, uh, 2010, 2011 where we played against uh, Perth Glory and Jets, and we had the uh, the sellout at Westpac Stadium for that semi final. We, we we beat Jets and. Um, um, Perth, uh, what's the uh, Paul Eiffel scored an extra time. Um, there was the Football United tour, and we brought out West Ham and Newcastle. We beat West Ham at Eden Park. Um, we had twenty thousand plus there, um, and then we came, yeah, and then we came down to Wellington, and we had thirty thousand plus for a, a whole day of football, which included Sydney FC, um, West Ham, Arsenal, Newcastle United. I mean, that was just, I mean, and, you know. Considering that it was in the middle of July, which is kind of like we are now, we had the most unbelievable day where it was sunny and warm and not a breath of wind. <laughs> and, um, it's just unheard of. And I, I remember we went out afterwards and we went down to a bar in town and all the Newcastle United guys were down there. People were walking around in T-shirts and going, what's... I mean, it was like the whole... Like everything to come together at the right time. And, yeah. you know, to be honest, if you look back at it now, that's where Stevie Taylor got his love for Wellington. And, he, and of course, he's come back now. And who knows where it could end up. But... Um, he, he's he loves the city. You know, you would have seen him on social media on his jet oh, ski. Oh yeah, and, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, he loves the city, and we find that with a lot of actually uh, internationals that come to Wellington, is they 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 end up loving the city and, and what it offers in terms of a lifestyle. And I think you know you can't sort of underestimate the impact that someone like Stephen Taylor has had on this club as a as a captain. He's he's the ultimate positive attitude person. Um, and I've had a couple of Zooms over the last couple of months. We've had a couple of Zooms with me, Rob, and, 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 and Stevie Taylor, um, and a couple of the other, and like I say, Roofs and, 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 and Stefan. And, and Stevie Taylor says, look, look, Rob, I want to tell you, the, the playing group here is in to win this thing. This is what we're here for. We don't believe in second. We don't believe in making the final. We want to win. He is so focused as an individual. And that's what you want from your captain because – that's the little one percent of difference that that makes you know that takes you from a, a good team to a great team. And mm. you know, I look I look through our playing squad, and there's not too many holes there. There's not too many that that's a weak player, or you know, we've got a bit of a problem there. You know, our our strongest starting eleven. You look at that and go, that's a grand final winning team. And when you add on top of that, someone like Stevie Taylor, who's who's leading it from the front, and he's one of these guys that says, "Come on, boys!" He's, he's like a classic, uh, you know. Uh, British captain, and you kind of imagine him in the first. If he was in the First World War, he'd be the first over the trenches. You know, <laughs> he'd be the, the first one running towards the Germans with his with his bayonet fix. You know, come on, boys, follow me. We're going in for it. Uh, he's really is that kind of a character, and that gives me a lot of confidence that you know that the boys will, they won't leave anything to chance. And you know, you've got someone like Ufi as, as the as the leader and the general. He's is a he's a very very good coach. But you know, coming back to your original question, there's been a lot of highlights and. The say of the next campaign, if you're looking about off the off the field stuff, you know we were under. I mean, I, you know, sometime that story will come out, but we were on the brink then, and we were only saved 
really by the strength of the chairman and his ability to uh, do the deal with, with the FFA. And there's no doubt that the previous CEO of the FFA wanted us out. Yeah. And that was hard. That was hard, Yakko. That was a very dark time for this football club. And if the chairman had been anybody else, I think we would have gone under. We would have lost this club. Um, but the good thing about it is is that the fans got in behind us, the city got in behind us. And to be honest, so did the rest of the, the A-League clubs. And, you know, there was not one single club that aligned themselves with the FFA when, when Gallup started, you know, they campaigned to get rid of us. Now, every single club got in behind the Wellington Phoenix and said, no, no, they're a core part of this, this league. They've added so much in terms of what they've produced as a club and in terms of the financial investment they've made. So the Save the Next campaign was, was a huge highlight for me as well. Fantastic. All right, so two more questions, and I'll put them together. The most memorable memorable game, sorry, so the one that you could you only choose one that really stands out in your memory is something that you always look back on uh, fondly, and also the Knicks' best signing ever. You can only choose one. Jeez, Connor. <laughs> okay, in terms of the best game, it'd have to be the uh, the penalty shootout with Perth Glory. Oh, fantastic. Only, only because of the drama... You know, and I, I can still hear the, the, the piney and uh, um, Chody call in my head. If you listen to it on radio, uh, the way that those two boys called it, it, w- it was just magnificent, right? And we've, we've, we've shown it from time to time. We've, we've, we've got the video and we've overlaid the, the radio commentary. Just the drama associated with the penalty shootout, uh, the fact that there was, you know, 25,000 people there, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, it was just so so exciting. I mean, the, the game the following week was was also great because we had a, went to extra time and, and there was a full split-out crowd. But, uh, you know, the drama, of a, you just can't beat the drama of a penalty shootout and the fact that, the, you know, uh, the way that the boys pulled hard, you know, pulled through it and, and, and finished the job. But great players in that team as well, you know, Tim Brown and, you know, Andrew Durante and, mm. and all these characters, you know, Chris Greenacre, just terrific block players in, in that team. And uh, No, just a great way. I mean, I always remember that game just because the drama. And then the signing. Oh, my goodness <laughs> me. putting him on the spot. I there. really, uh, I really It's really am. unfair. It's really unfair. I mean, there have been so many great characters. I mean, uh, uh, players, you know, you've got Andrew Durante who led the club for so many years. You know, uh, Chris Greenacre, who was, you know, a striker who just gave you 100%. You know, and this is what I love about David Ball. You look at David Ball. He's such a a Chris Greenacre type. And, like, David Ball is just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Mm. He treats everyone as an equal, but he just works his ass off for the team all of the time. Um, And, and, you know, know, that's the kind of character you want to play for your football club. Um, you know, and look at that. You know, someone like Ulysses Devia, who's just uh, just a craftsman at his game. And you know, I think once we settled into our into Ufi's uh, pattern that he wanted to play this year. I mean, we lost. Everyone knows we lost the first, first four games. And Ufi said to us at the start of the year, he said, "Look, look, guys, this is not going to happen overnight. I'm going to change this team and the way they play." But you wait till they do it. And so it'll take a little bit longer than, than you think mm. because it'll, you know, you've know got a lot, lot of young players who have to learn how to play the game a different way. Um, and to be honest, the first four games, we didn't we didn't get the results we wanted. Nobody was panicking. I can, without a word of a lie, I can tell you, nobody in the management or the board or the ownership group was panicking because they could see what was happening, what they were trying to do. Um, and then when it clicked, it just, it just clicked for us. Um, you know, so, you know... <sighs> I mean, you have to put Mike Talley up there, right, at the top of the list in terms of this. <laughs> That's a nice tip. And then, of course, Paul Eiffel as well, who was, you know, who, you know, was probably not, if not one of the greatest players. And, you know, and, he, and Roy Krishna. 
they, you know, the highest goal scorer ever in the history of the cup. I mean, how do you choose one out of all of that? But, um, you know, it's very difficult to say. I mean, if, I was, if you're going to really, really push me, and I think someone like Eiffel in terms of what he brought to the club, he yeah. brought him, I mean, to be honest, Eiffel was the worst possible trainer you'd ever meet in your life. You know, he <laughs> did not, he, he never liked training, but on the field, he just had the X factor, and and that little and that little run that we had when we were doing going so well, a lot of it was down to what Paul Eiffel could do on the field. And you know, you watch some of the stuff now, and you go, "How the hell did he do that?" And and why is he, you know, why people just couldn't defend against him, even though you knew what he was going to do every time. Mm. You know, he just couldn't that little shimmy inside and out, and that you know, he could little sh- the way he used to beat players with a drop of the shoulder. I mean, just a terrific player. Especially that season, I think a lot of fans were created that season. Just the way the team was playing and the way that he played, I think a lot of people started following the Phoenix and kind of woke up to this professional club that was uh, um, like playing week in and week out. Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. It, when you're in that, I mean, yeah. Well, New Zealand's no different to any other country, right? But it's probably exacerbated because we're not a football country as such. We're a rugby culture, you know. But New Zealanders support winners, right? And I think part of it is if you look at it. Look at the All Blacks, right? The All Blacks win 80% of their games. It's an unbelievable record that the All Blacks mm. have got. So we've been accustomed to teams that win and win well all the time. So when you have a team, look at the Warriors. But, you know, poor buggers. When the Warriors start losing games, everybody comes down on them because they're used to seeing teams like, you know, the, uh, the All Blacks and, and, and even like Crusaders. They just win all the time. And um, so the New Zealanders are accustomed to winning. And when you're winning... Everybody turns out. People turn up. When we're losing, we struggle to get, you know, five, six, seven thousand. But when we're winning, we can get eight, nine. Look, we go to Auckland and we get all of a sudden we get twenty, twenty two thousand. We go to Auckland when we're winning because people love you. But then when you're not winning, you go to Auckland, you get twelve thousand. You go, where did the ten thousand go? You know, <laughs> it's, it's still the same club because we don't have that culture which the the Europeans have because it's you know, it's not our national game. But you know, we're not complaining. That's just our, that's just the lot that we've got, and you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. It just shows you how important though, it is to have a winning team, and yeah. you know, that's what we've got now. And you know, if people don't appreciate this, the brand of football that Ufi's got this team playing, then I don't think they're ever going to appreciate football ever. Because you know, I, I put up on the Wellington Phoenix Twitter account, put up um, Gary Hooper's goal against uh, Mariners at the weekend. I think yeah. it was yesterday. Yeah, and I retweeted. It. I mean, if you just watch that goal. I, mean, I think it was a 13, 14 passes that went through yeah. every outfield player on the park. There's not too many. I mean, Barcelona would have been would have loved that kind of a goal. You know, every single player touching the ball, and they played it out from the back. It was beautiful. It was really good skill. One touch football. It was you know, it was it was a joy to watch. So, yeah, this is what this, this is what this team is capable of. And, and uh, you know, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Ufi and the, and the, and the players that he's recruited and to Sean Gill, who's a football operations manager. They spend a lot of time on this. They do a lot of analysis. Mm. They pick players. I swear without, you know, we never sign a player without doing a background check. We ring up the coaches, we ring up the past players and say, what's this player like? What is he like as a character? And, uh, you know, we've got everything right this year in terms of the players. You know, look at Ulysses Davila. He played for Chelsea, well, didn't play for Chelsea, but he signed for Chelsea and played for a big, some big clubs. And he is just a quality individual. And Gary Hooper is the same. Played for Celtics, played Champion League, played in all the major competitions in Europe. Um, but he's a quality individual. You know, so these are really, really good characters that they've, that they've, that they've brought through. 
So can you see, I mean, the, the, the yeah. moments that you mentioned and the memorable moments for you came in that season. I mean, that Perth game, incredible penalty shootout, and then the character, Paul Eiffel, what a man. Can you see this current crop of players becoming that new memorable uh, moment for not just yourself, but a whole like bunch of Phoenix fans and create new fans along the way, uh, especially if we can keep the majority of the squad together next season and really push on and, as you say, keep winning? I think all you can be sure about is this is the group of players we've got through for this season. That's what you can be for the rest of the season, for the mm. final series, resumption season. Five. No one knows what's going to happen next year. I mean, all, all, the, all the clubs are going to be in the same boat, right? They just don't know what's going to happen in terms of salary cap and finances and all that sort of thing. So all you can say is, I mean, we'd love to keep this, this, this group of players together, 100%. We'd love to keep them together. Um, I just don't know if it's possible or not. Um, but what it does mean in is that for this final series, there is a lot of hope. I think for the resumption of the season's final series, yeah, you know, I, I think I said, you know, like I said to you at the start, this team does not fear anybody. They honestly believe they can go out and beat anybody, and that includes Sydney, um, and that includes Melbourne City, that includes all of them. Um, so that gives me a lot of confidence, that you know. And I, and, and I don't think you can argue with that because of the way they play their football. Some of the, I mean, you know, someone like Uli De Villa is in the you know, in the running to be Johnny Marsden winner. He could be the best player in the A-League. And with the Wellington Phoenix has had more, more, and this often gets lost, right? But we've had more Johnny Marsden winners than any other football club. We've had more best players in the A-League than any other football club. That's mental. Uh, it's, it's mental. And, and this is, you know, uh, I think that's kind of says a little bit about how we go about our business and recruiting players. And Uli's right up there for this year. Uh, and if he does, I'd be, you know, a bit biased here, <laughs> but I honestly believe he is the best player in the A League. And when you throw on top of that, players like uh, Hooper who can score goals from anywhere. Uh, you've got David Ball who just works and works and works. He's got really good midfield players and Roofer and, and Matty Steinman and just a really solid black back line and and probably the best goalkeeper in the league as well. And you go, why can't this team beat him? And you know, and, and a young player like Liberato Kakachi who is he is. Without a shadow of a doubt, it's the best left back in the league. No question. And you got, why can't this team go out and beat anybody and go all the way? So, you know, all, all we can you – know, next year, it's very difficult to look at next year, very difficult to talk about it. Mm. But I think, you know, certainly for the resumption of this league and with the final series, I think we can be pretty confident. Oh, well, that's really exciting and really, uh, really interesting insight from those questions, Dave. We're going to move on to our Fast Five now, where we ask you um, quick fire questions. Um, it's one answer or another, and we'll just go through five of them. And if you want to give a little bit of insight to your answer, you're more than welcome to. Uh, first, and we've, oh, and we've also been told that you're a bit of a Spurs fan. Oh, yeah. I don't know what I've done. In a, I don't know what I've done in a past life, but yeah, I am. I'm a Spurs fan, and, and I'm, I'm paying for it. I've paid for it since I, I remember when I was. Uh, my early 1981 when Spurs played the FA Cup final against Manchester City and uh, Ozzy Ardiles and Ricardo Vida. My, my, my dad's English, right? He was he's, uh, you know, from Portsmouth and he was a Portsmouth fan. And he said to me and my younger brother, he said, right, you've got to choose your team now. And I, and I chose Spurs because the FA Cup and the way they played. My brother chose Liverpool. I think he, <laughs> I think he got the better end of the deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have to agree with that statement. Okay, uh, first one, uh, Kane or Janola? No. Um, I, w- <laughs> I would go Janela only because I love the artistry. That, you know, if it said Kane or Hoddle, I would have gone Hoddle just because of the artistry. I love those players have the mm-hmm. flair, that have the, 
that they could just do things that no other player could do. Who could, you know, do a, a 50 meter pass and put it on a on a 10 cent piece. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Uh, next one is Mossy or Peston. Oh God. <laughs> uh, well, they both. They both. They brought. Um, they both had pros and cons. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I'm just going to go pasty. For no other reason than uh, the World Cup. Ah, oh, good <laughs> on you. The, the World Cup against Bahrain, which I was, I was sitting in the corner uh, of, of Westpac Stadium in front of where Pasty saved the penalty. I know it's not even a Phoenix match, right? Yeah. But Pasty saved the penalty, like literally in front of me. I remember Jeremy Christie was like two or three rows in front of me, um, and I remember just going, "I can't believe he's actually done that." So, Pasty. We were sitting next to the Bahrain fans, like just literally two seats over. And then at the very end of the game, um, my friend who was sitting next to me um, hugged the guy next to him, and it was Ryan Nelson's dad. Oh, oh is that right? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going up to, to Jeremy Christie at the end because he wasn't even playing, and I said, Jeremy, you go, mate, this is just as much your celebration as everybody else's because he was part of it, right? He was yeah. part of the, the build-up. And I said, you should be very proud of yourself. And I, he, I think he had tears in his eyes, to be honest. Oh, nice. Awesome. Uh, next one, uh, Ernie or Herbert? Oh jeez, uh, these, these are these are not easy questions. Uh, ooh, put right. Ricky was the right, absolutely the right coach for the Phoenix at that time when he was a coach, hundred percent. And we wouldn't have had the success we did in that two thousand nine, two thousand ten season without Ricky. But I actually think probably Ernie, as a coach at that time, um, Ernie sort of did, did take us to the next level. He kind of laid the groundwork for where we're at now, right? As oh, a, 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And especially like change. Um, I remember, I think it was his first or second year when I was there, and um, a lot of the talk was around how he managed to change the mindset of a lot of players as well. Mm. Mm. Oh, no, that's right. I mean, I, I remember that. Um, remember when Ricky was in charge, we had the longest home run. Uh, in the league, it was at the at the at that time it was a record. We no one ever beat us at Westpac Stadium. Yeah, uh, but we couldn't win away. And I remember when Ernie came in, Ernie said, "I had, I don't care where we're playing. I don't care if we're in, a, in Wellington, in Auckland, or in Australia. We go out to win every game. Yeah. There's no excuse for winning away." And that was that was a bit of a, cha- a challenge for some players at that time. Whereas now, we don't even think twice about it. Like, Ufi doesn't really care where we go. So we're going to win every game. We're going to go out and play, and we want to win every game. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And the next one, Burn, on pure striking ability, Burns <laughs> or Krishna? Krishna. Yeah, very cool. And the last one's probably pretty easy, I hope. Uh, Spurs or the Phoenix? Oh, uh, certainly the Phoenix. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. Good response. Phoenix had more chance of winning something. Put it that way. <laughs> there's, fewer tro- there's fewer trophies up for grabs in Australia and New Zealand. Phoenix still got more chances of winning something than Tottenham. Oh, I love that. I love that. Even from a Spurs supporter, the doom and gloom. That's fantastic. Oh, you get you get used to it over the years. It's, it's, it's you know, Spurs fans are notorious for, for doom and gloom. And, but, you know, <laughs> even when we made the Champions League final against Liverpool, I knew we were going to... I mean, it was just typical that we'd have to essentially go down to a handball, which was, you know, oh. completely outside our control. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, and then ever since then, we've sort of capitulated and fallen down the pecking order. Um <laughs> We're not, we're not even going to make Champions League this year. So it's, it's quite clear. Right? I mean, we're, we're, we, bought, we drew with Bournemouth for crying out loud. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's 
you know, we kind of we had a nice little under Pochettino, we had a nice little revival where we won a few games and started to challenge and all that sort of stuff. And then, oh, do you know what? That that I, I rate Daniel Levy as a administrator, but I don't know what he sees in Mourinho because he's just such such a non-Spurs coach. It was like in the uh, the bad old days when we appointed George Graham. Yeah, it? I know. It's what crazy. the hell? It's like, it just does, he's just not a Spurs type of coach. But anyway, crazy. maybe right. he knows something I don't know. <laughs> well, I think what we really want to say is that you should definitely watch the Wellington Phoenix instead of Tottenham Hotspur because they will play better football and you can enjoy that much more. Um, on behalf of us at Total Football New Zealand, from Mike Anderson and myself, Connor Clements, it's been a pleasure having you on. David, um, David Dome, General Manager of the Phoenix, thank you for all of your insights into how the boys are doing over in Australia at the moment, and I'm sure that you'll join us uh, in saying good luck to the Phoenix in their next crazy month of football. Um, and we wish them all the best, and we hope, as David has outlined, that they can do us proud and make us uh, believe again after this massive break that we've had. David, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And like I say, please send those messages of goodwill through either um, through the website, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you've got. Send it through because it definitely will be sent over to the players and they certainly do appreciate it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. See you later. Thanks, guys. 